when I found out they died of overdoses, something inside me broke a little mm -hmm. bit. And I hadn't even slept with either of them. But they were two of my boyfriends in high school that I cared deeply about, that I loved. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. If you're looking to hear stories of hope, inspiration, and turning your greatest adversities into your advantage, well, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and struggles with anxiety and depression, I dug into my passion of speaking with people who have transformed their lives. And we're closing out the year with a double episode. Yes, that's right. I had such an amazing talk with my guest, Amanda Kazmira Cryer. We ended up talking for over two hours, and I wanted to get the whole episode out to you guys. So we're releasing this first part here today. The second part is going to drop tomorrow. I wanted to get it in before Christmas for you guys as uh, Amanda leaves us with final thoughts in part two relating to situations of her being completely homeless and alone during the holidays. And she's just such a phenomenal person and how she's turned her life around, taken all of her trauma, which has been mental, physical, sexual, and used it to help other people. She's such a beautiful person and I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. Amanda Kazzy Cry, thank you for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. How are you, my lovely friend? Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I'm so happy to be here. I am doing today is a is a good day. Yes, good day. Well, you got a wonderful smile on, and I'm glad to see it. And we got we're going to dig into all things. We're going to pull from a phone conversation that only you and I will ever have to ever sh not share with the world, and all kinds of the beautiful stuff that that you're doing through. My goodness, I just love people like you. That it's like so much happened that it's like I would get the give up, but it's not in you. And I just uh, I had adore you. And once I got to know you, it was like, oh my gosh, amazing person. But uh, three things you're grateful for today. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful that I had less symptoms today than I did yesterday. And I'm grateful for my friends and my family. It's hard not to touch on that. I think we should start with less symptoms today than, than other days. Uh, okay. to give people some, some relevant, they're going to go, what, what are you talking about, Jason? Don't skip over that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you were one of the, 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 the folks that, wow, COVID really hit hard. Yeah, it did. It, it, uh, yes. The doctors in the hospital said that I was, uh, one of the more severe cases that they had had. And, um, <clears throat> and I was in Mexico at the time. I think I told you that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it was a little bit, it was a little frightening because there was obviously a language barrier there. And even though I've been taking Spanish lessons, I was still, you know, not able to fully communicate that well with my doctors, um, with all the doctors and also the nurses that were helping me every day. Um, but when I got admitted into the hospital, um, they said that my O2 levels were at 74. And so just to give some context, uh, a normal O2 level is 98. And so you don't really want to be, you don't really want to be much more below 96. And I was at 74 when I was admitted and they had, they did a CT scan on my lungs as well as an x-ray. And they said that it looked like I had lost close to 85% lung capacity, um, just over 80%. And, um, and they said that that was, you know, very dangerous, the, the, the state that I was in, because I had, um, 
my my friends who happened to be Mexican were were taking me around to the hospitals trying to see if I could get admit, admitted, and I was I was um, turned away by two hospitals as a matter of fact, and it was very frightening for me because I couldn't breathe. And so one of my friends who was Mexican, thank God for her, she was yelling at the hospital administrators saying, you know, she's not going to make it if you don't take her. And um, they said, well, we can't unless she, you know, pays this much money up front. And the first hospital asked for 25,000 US dollars up front just to admit me. Holy. And I, I don't, I mean, I didn't have that money. So um, we had to go to another hospital. They also turned me away. And then they drove me to a third hospital the third hospital was a little bit different. Now, the doctor looked at me. He looked at the CT scan from the previous hospital, which was sent to me on my phone. He saw the results and he said, I can't help her. And or he said something to that effect to my friend in Spanish because my friend was translating to me. And um, I had two friends with me at this time, um, Joss and David. And David was with me at this time. And it was something to the effect of she's got COVID, but she's also got bacterial pneumonia. We can't fight a virus and a bacterial infection at the same time. You know, we're not going to have much luck here. And I think that, um, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think that, you know, hospitals have certain statistics and so do, so do doctors. They don't want bad statistics. You know, they don't want a, a case where they can't have a good outcome, right? Because it's going mm-hmm. to lower, you know, their statistics. So this third doctor, we we spent probably about an hour in in one of their sort of ER, not the general waiting room, but in like a private room where I could lay down on a bed and they could hook me up to an oxygen machine because I could not breathe on my own. And so this whole time, by the way, while we were driving around to hospitals to try to find help, um, I was hooked up to an oxygen machine that I it was one of my own. I had one at home, a mini one. But it wasn't it wasn't a consistent oxygen flow. It was called um, uh, it's called pulse flow. Mm. So it only gives you a pulse of oxygen every so often. Where I needed a consistent flow because I my lungs were not functioning on their own, or they barely were. And so the doctor said she's got um, COVID pneumonia is what he called it. He said and her lungs she's lost. She said he said the only upper right part of her right lung is working. Everything else is covered in, um, in fluid. So he said this is a very bad case. And he said, but uh, we'll take her. Uh, this uh, this is after much convincing. <laughs> said, we'll take her. We'll take her. It will cost this hum- this much per night to keep her here. So I I was like okay. And I, I forget what it was. I think it was around like fourteen fifteen hundred dollars a night for me to be checked in this hospital. And I thought, okay, well, I've got a medical line of credit anyways in the U.S. I'll pull from that. And I thought I'd be in there for, you know, a couple of days, two, three, maybe four days. I didn't expect it to be anything long, right? I was in there for a couple of weeks because what happened was that I was I was checked in. Um, they put me on, first of all, none of the veins in my arms would work oh because of an illness I've been living with for seven years. So they had to they had to put a catheter in my jugular vein in my neck to administer all of the drugs that I needed to, to save my life. And so they, they had a, a vascular surgeon come into the room and immediately administer this, this tube into my neck, which went right down into my body to give me all the drugs that I needed. Because they told me that, that my veins and my arms would never be able to hold up for all the drugs they had to give me. They had to give me multiple drugs at the same time. So they were giving me drugs through the catheter in my neck and I started to get better in about two days. I was getting better, but the third day I started to go downhill. 
And so they called in a pulmonologist and the pulmonologist was a little bit, she was not a little bit, she was, um, she was confused as to why I wasn't getting better. And I, she said to me, she said, can you breathe? And I said, no, I can't breathe without this oxygen machine. I had an oxygen machine on 24 hours a day while I slept, while I was awake. It never came off. I traveled. They would, the, the nurse would come to my bed and help carry me to the bathroom while I was still hooked up to a portable oxygen machine. And then when I was put back in my bed, they would take that mask up and put me back on the oxygen from the wall in the hospital. And I was at 10. You can't go above 10. Now they said, Amanda, if we can't get you down, well, you're going to have to go on a ventilator. Oy, and if you are on a ventilator, yeah. like, so I was not coming down. What had happened was that I had developed uh, edema on my lungs in addition to the pneumonia. They couldn't understand why I was having, they called it pleural effusions or pleural edema. So, which meant, I looked it up, of course, it meant like you got all this fluid on your lungs, but I'm like, but I've already got pneumonia. So how could I be having more fluid? And they said, we don't know. They said, but your body is retaining all this fluid. And it was, and I said, well, it could be the steroids. Cause in the past when I was given steroids, I did like get my body kind of blew up. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, if we don't give you steroids, you're not going to make it because your lungs can't stand up on their own right now. So what they did was they, they put me on diuretics because the steroids, they they realized at that point, the steroids were giving me all this extra fluid, which was, they were concerned was going to go, cause me to go into heart failure. They then had a cardiologist come in and check my heart because they thought that I was in, car, in heart failure because of all the fluid that was on my lungs now. Apparently when you're, when your lungs fill up like that, it's because your heart's not working to dissolve fluid. Right. So they were looking at, well, it's either steroids that are caused the, the intravenous steroids, which were very high dose to help my lungs be, stay strong. That was causing me the fluid. It was either that causing me the fluid or my heart was in heart failure. So the cardiologist came in, did um, an echo on my heart. And he saw that um, an ultrasound, he saw that my heart was working. He said, there's damage though. I can see damage. He says, I don't know if it's acute he said, or if it's chronic, but he said, there's damage to your heart. And I said, okay, well, how bad is it? And he said, well, we don't, we won't know yet. We won't know. But he said, your heart is working. So we know that you're, you're okay. So they figured it was just from the, from the steroid, the high steroid, dose steroids. So I was on the diuretics, which the diuretics had made me go to the bathroom like every 10 minutes and right. I couldn't stop every 10 minutes. So they hooked me up to, they put me on a, a what's it called? A catheter. So I was bag. So that was really uncomfortable. Catheters are not comfortable, like at all. Oh, that's so no. Uh, but the best thing about being on a catheter is you never have to get up. Right. <laughs> so literally, be on that catheter, you know, have that hooked up to my, you know, my body, and I could just, you know, let myself relieve myself of, you know, urine without having to press for the nurse every ten minutes because the diuretics make you go. Literally, you go to the yeah. bath every ten minutes. I mean, there's no break. Yeah. So it just, uh, after, after about three days after diuretics, um, or two days, I would say the, the, the fluid started to clear and they started to see me make some improvement. And that's when they knew that I was going to make it. But yeah. for those first four or five days, it was very dicey. Where's your mind at the, cause we're, I mean, we're going to, we're going to get into all kinds of things for people that aren't familiar with you and the, the work you've done and why you've done it. But my friend, you've endured so much pain and suffering and like how, how, 
what what kept you going what was it what was the mindset for you to keep going with in this type of situation i am so happy you asked me that thank you because yeah. that is that is key here um there's a couple things but the first one i will say is is this the first one i'll say is my belief in a higher power um i believe um i believed that it wasn't my time to go but i wasn't sure like there was doubt but i had a friend of mine who became a very quick friend of mine and she was struggling she was actually dying from cancer during the time that I was in the hospital. And I don't think any of us knew if she was going to die for sure or not. We were all hoping that she wasn't. And she was such a strong fighter. Her name is Rowena Rodriguez. And um, I put up a, there's photos of her on, on my, uh, and like a, I did like a little compilation with photos that her family had sent uh, with some music on my Instagram page. And she was so weak, so very weak. And she sent me this video and she recorded herself from the hospital bed. I mean, I mean, she like was in such a weakened state. And she said to me, she said, I know that what you're going through right now is so difficult. And she knows, she said to me, I know, Amanda, that you've been through this medical you've been dealing with health issues for several years now and now you've got covid and this is like you're on the brink and she said i want you to know she said you're a warrior she said you are such a strong person she said you are going to make this she said i want you to fight and she said don't give up and she said and if you can't speak right now because she knew i was on an auction machine she said i will speak for you she said, please don't give up. Please keep fighting. She said, I know you're going to make it. You're a warrior. And because I knew the state that she was in, that when she said that to me, that the fact that she took the time to do a video of herself from her hospital bed dying of cancer, I mean, you should have seen the state that she was in. She could barely speak. She whispered these words. They were like whispers in this video. But she cared so much about the state that I, what I was going through, I was like, I have to be this. I'm like, my God, if she's, if she's going to be that strong and care that much, I, I have to do, I have to fight. Like I, there's, I can't like, and the reason I say that is because throughout that experience, I was, there was, there were, there were times of that experience where I was like, you know what? I did kind of want to give up. There were times where I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore because I've already been living with a, an illness for six and a half years. So when I got COVID that bad, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, really? How could this possibly happen? After I've already been dealing with an illness for so many years, that's made me at times incapacitated where I couldn't even bathe myself. Oh. My mom had to bathe me. I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. Then I walked with a walker for a year after that. And now I've got COVID where it's a life-threatening case. So when my friend Rowena sent me that video, that's when I thought to myself, plus all my friends that gathered together from different parts of the world called on WhatsApp and I put them on speakerphone and they were literally praying over me. My friend Osita, 
from Africa, from Nigeria, my friend Nora from Nigeria, my friends from all parts of the United States, from different parts of Europe, from Canada, they were calling and, and I couldn't speak. They were praying over me while I was in the hospital, saying prayers that I could not say anything, but they were just speaking. So it was because of Rowena, because of my belief in God, and because of my of all these people in my life that cared to give me something in those moments I wouldn't give up. That's why. Chills. I don't know if he, I don't know if the camera can make that out, but that's what that is on my arms. Oh. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because I think there are some of us that go through that. And I know I had a moment in my life where I went, is this it? Really? You know, God, is this it? I don't want this to be this. But I mean, again, I'm I'm like you, a person of a belief in a higher power that it's like, well, I don't, if, if it's your will. And, um, and it goes to show too, what I, what I talk about so much with people, especially with recovery. Hey, you want to have a good life? You want this thing to stick? A belief in a higher power and a really beautiful support system of wonderful people that you do just because and they do just because it's the right thing. That's going to bring you a gifted life. Yes. I mean, what a beautiful experience. I, I, can I just say one thing too, Jason? Please. Thank you. I want to say also to something that was challenging, though, for me to manage during this whole experience. Um, I lost a lot of people in my life, too. A lot of people didn't show mm. up for me. So even though I'm telling you about the people who did, it while it wasn't a lot, it was enough. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people who I thought would have shown up for me but they didn't and and i was very surprised and i have to say i was it 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 really it shook me it shook my heart because i thought that in situations like that you know no matter what has happened you know with people when we call someone a friend at any point in our life when someone's going through something like that or anything you know um that that we show up for them. I think it's really important because support systems are are critical for all of us, you know, for, and for, I mean, it's, we all have to be responsible and accountable for our own mental health. That's definitely the truth. Mm. And part of us being responsible and accountable for that is having a good support system in place. And when part of your support system disappears and, you know, no matter how many people are there for you, it's still going to affect 
us on a mental level, mental health level. And it did, it really did affect me. I mean, there, there were people that were, were leaving me messages saying, you know, um, I know you're doing okay, but I spoke to someone else and they said to not bother you right now. Um, and uh, people were trying to actually raise raise funds for me to help me pay for my my hospital bills in Mexico. And I had other people telling them not to do that, not to help me. Yeah, that's the truth. And so I just want to speak my my truth here. And that was very difficult for me to hear um, because I could not ever understand why anybody would want to to do that to another human being. And um, so while I was recovering from this experience, I was also physically, it was very physically demanding, but I would say more so than that, it was extremely mentally and emotionally um, debilitating because I I found out about those types of things that were going on and that that like broke, it broke me. Oh yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, and what kind of work in the aftermath have you done to maybe, I don't know if reframe is the right word, but it's hard to put that kind of shit behavior into context, especially <laughs> when you, it, it just, I don't know how else to say it. It's like, it's a big WTF. Like, what, yeah. like I, I, I just, I don't understand that. I, I still to this day don't. And I guess for me, the best that I can relate to what you're saying and, and, and where it strikes the empathy bone is when I really started working my recovery, people just disappeared. At first it hurt, then I realized they did me a favor. Is that, I mean, was that kind of the work that it took for a while or what, what, I mean, gosh, Jesus, yeah. uh, I'm like angry for you. Like start texting me their numbers right now. They're getting a call from someone they don't know. You're that's exactly, you know, I, I think that, you know, like, and this leads into what we're going to talk about. I know, you know, I have this, this thing with loving people mm -hmm. you know, and I also get very attached. And when I love, I yeah, I love hard, you know, whether it's friendships, uh, an intimate relationship, uh, business colleagues, you know, even and I, you know, I'm not and too like for me in the in the businesses that I work in, in the work that I do, there's not a huge like a huge line that distinguishes business from personal for me because it's very personal the work I do I mean I live the work I do it's not I don't it's not like oh I hang my hat up at my office you know and go home and then I'm a different person right like who I am in my business who I am at home is who I am with you right now you know it's who is who I am so it's you know um from what you said is it resonates for me deeply because it's, it's, I haven't always been the best at discernment. So <laughs> we could start an anonymous group for that if you'd like. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, when I look at it from that lens, what you said resonates for me because even though I was saddened by the people who had walked away out of my life at this time, at this critical time when I really could have used their support the most, I realized throughout the past, because it's been six months now since this experience happened to me in the hospital with COVID, I realize now that those people, that, you know, like you said, 
even though it's it's even like it's even right now difficult for me to even say this but the you know for me were they even really my friends so that is you know it's a difficult pill to swallow and it's not like they're bad it's not that like anyone's bad i'm not like saying okay people are horrible although i think what happened was pretty crappy but for whatever reasons people do what they do but for me it's important that i become better at discernment and my mentor has always told me since 2008 she says amanda that's something you'll be working under the day you die the discernment and she said because you resonate with humanity and you resonate with the human condition like a musical instrument she said you feel everything and she said because of that you're going to fall in love with everything you're going to feel everything deeply and that is going to be your achilles heel but she says also going to be the gift i have so it's like it's like it's like these two things that you know can work for me and 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 for me and then can in conjunction can work for others but it can also be detrimental to me if i don't get to a place in my life where i'm become an expert at discernment and i'm working on that every day i tonight probably forever yeah. it's so funny not, not funny how, why you're bringing this up, but funny that you're bringing that. I was literally on with my mentor today talking about the very thing, exact same thing. And he's like, man, you work with your heart and you have to realize that sometimes people that you're working with, they're, they're, the collaboration isn't there, the heart isn't there, and you got to remove emotion from it a little bit. So I did an exercise last night working on removing the emotional part of it in writing and just looking at it from a practical thing and it's like i felt the sense of relief but heartache at the same time like oh this project or that thing that i was helping that person with or him over there I i'm gonna i'm it's gonna be a little bit different moving forward and that kind of sucks but it's also what i need to do to not end up at home every night and just feel exhausted it's so true it sucks. <laughs> it does. And the thing is, you know what? There is like a narrative in the world right now that has been going around for a while. And I mean, I first of all, I don't like the word toxic. I think it's been overused and it's just whatever. But just for these purposes right now, let me just use it one time, okay? <laughs> all right, pass. Just, just one time, just one time. <laughs> you get a pass. I, I, please, please, just one pass, yeah. Sometimes I think that there's a, there is a very real thing called toxic positivity. Mm. And it's, for me, it's very inauthentic. And so it's like, yes, we can say that we're going to, you know, we're going to always be in a state of gratitude and we're always going to be doing our best to, you know, uh, uh, help ourselves, help others and, 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 and look at, look at our glasses always have full constantly. It's just that it's not every single day is not like that in reality. There are going to be days where we are not going to feel like that. And if we can't get to a place for me with humanity and society to be able to be able to have a bad day and show up like that without obviously not being cruel to others. But if we can't be honest about that stuff and always have to have a smile on and just be genuine, then the world all of a sudden becomes a very scary place. Mm-hmm. And it has been. Yeah. For that very, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, 
I know for me that the, the strive and and hopefully it comes across honestly here to people is like, I got a lot of shitty days, but I do the best I can within them. And it's not, okay, moments will make me feel like shit in a day. It yeah. doesn't mean the overall day. I'd say the the, the, the most shitty day would be, be people like, hey, did you hear Jason? Yeah, he passed away. It's crazy. Uh, that would be a real shitty day. Or not. I don't know. Maybe then my when my consciousness changes. That would be a changes, really crappy day. Yeah, at least on this plane of existence, right? Who knows what the next one is? Um, you know, I'm not so fearful of that. Uh, anyways, but... Yeah, it's like sometimes we just have bad things. I mean, you've had health issues. You're not going to feel that sprightly at every moment. It, it's just, it's not going to happen. Or for me, there might be little things that trigger me and quickly pull me out of gratitude, being in the moment, uh, you know, lead me to future tripping, lead me to some depression about the past and, and you know, resentments. And it's like, yeah, no one can s sit there in that, forever like you know and i i don't know i i think people get sold on a bill of goods like you're saying and that's toxic that's and that's the only reason why i use that word was because i don't you you have a you got a toolbox so do i we you and i both have toolboxes that we that we pull from to mm -hmm. support us in those moments right like you've studied ontology so have i so it's it, it's you know we're able to you know, in those situations, instead of going, you know, too far down the victim slope, which is so easy to go down, right? We're able to look at that and then, you know, take our power back. What I, what, you know, what I think that, you know, is interesting, what I've found interesting lately is that I think that sometimes there's, I've noticed something shifting out there and it's, it's, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, what I've noticed. And that is that, first of all, everyone's playing a victim. That's A. But B, we're not allowing anyone to play a victim either. And C, if you're not just a survivor and warrior constantly, then you don't matter and you have no value. So I think there's like, for me, what I'm noticing on social media and also out here in the world working, what I'm noticing is that there's like a severe lack of compassion happening because people are there as humans, we're always going to go through times where we are 100% in a state of needing support. And now when we reach out, we don't want people thinking that, oh, we're just trying to have people feeling sorry for us. That's not what's going on. There's a lack of empathy and compassion in those situations where people are like, oh, you know, that person is saying this just to gather, you know, sympathy or whatever. That's a crock. You know, there are certainly are there are people that do that, I'm sure. I'm sure that's where that people, why they think that because people do that. But there are a lot of people who actually need compassion and empathy and who are not getting it because there is that other side going on there. Oh, you know, I, I'm sick of hearing about this, you know, why can't they just make their life better? You know, why can't they just do this? Why can't they just do that? So it's like, there's a very, it's a very delicate sort of dance we're doing constantly of being accountable and responsible for how we show up in the world, but also knowing that like, we're human. Mm -hmm. And so surrounding ourselves with people that will accept us and love us for showing up as a powerful people that we are every day and 
allowing us to be in a different place on different days and loving us still all the same. You know, does that make sense? Complete. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. Do you think... I, I've never thought of it that way, so this just occurred to me. This is a new question for me, but do you think social media, us being locked in place for such a period of time, has kind of taken away a lot of that compassion? 100%. Mm. Me too. It's like we forgot how to be human. A hundred percent. Sad. It is. Oh, boy, we're hitting all the heavy stuff here. We're breaking down the world. Um, yeah, no, ontology, let's talk about it. Like, I mean, this was, we had, God, we talked almost an hour. You know, we both take a real ontological, did I say that right for once, uh, approach to life, you know, because I tried other types of therapy and, you know, cognitive therapies work pretty well too, but it wasn't until... I went down that rabbit hole that really helped me shed my victimhood and and yeah. reframe a lot of things and and go, yeah, okay, that was me. Mm, no, that was that other person, but it's still my responsibility because I chose to interact with them. And, yeah. you know, uh, what probably the biggest takeaways for you? I think that, uh, Again, my heart, I have to go back to my heart because mm. my heart is for some reason for unbeknownst to me, because <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh. My heart has remained really open and mm. and 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 quite soft, if you will. I mean, I don't know if that's a an insult to my heart or I love my heart. Thank you, heart. Um, <laughs> keep working. Keep going. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Come I on. Did, yeah. I did just get diagnosed with heart disease, unfortunately, but oh. heart is still working for me and I'm so happy and I love my heart so much. Um, but I think that when you, for me, I can't speak for anybody else. Definitely. When we're speaking ontologically, really being accountable is that, I don't, it doesn't stop me from feeling sad and depressed or upset about a situation where I feel like perhaps I may have been taken advantage of, Mm. um, because that does certainly happen in this world. Um, But, you know, when I was sexually assaulted, as an example, um, you know, I, I learned to give up the story around it. So I learned to give up, you know, you know, like I'm a, a victim of what happened. Um, I also didn't reframe it as in like it was my fault because people can go that way too. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not good either. So it's a it, it was a, a way for me to learn that 
the story I built up around it. And I mean, I've had, you know, other instances in my life that have occurred where, you know, I've had fallings out with, you know, business partner, um, you know, I haven't um, received the love I wanted to from perhaps uh, a potential partner, um, you know, relate, relate friendships, relationships, colleagues, whatever. And what I've realized in those moments is that even if I didn't realize it in that exact moment, because I often don't in that exact moment, like I'm not, I'm not like an expert ontological, like landmark forum leader. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I was an introduction leader, but I'm not an expert. Like I, I don't get off things, you know, in a second. I'm not that good yet. Maybe one day I will be, but I'm not quite there yet. And maybe I, maybe I won't ever be, maybe I'll be the kind of person that, yeah, I do get upset about things for a little bit, but then I'm able to pull myself out. And, you know, I'm able to pull myself out because of what you and I discussed and because of what you just said a little while ago. And that is that I stopped looking at myself as that victim and start saying, okay, wait a minute. I had some, I had some autonomy here. I chose that person. Mm -hmm. That person decided to do what they did but I chose that person. And so again, it goes back to me about with discernment. Mm -hmm. Now, why, now what could I have done differently or what can I do differently next time so that that doesn't occur again? So then I started to look at, okay, well, were there things that I, that I observed about that person that I may not have seen, you know, in the beginning. And that's where I'm really like always digging deep with that because I, I think that there are things that we sometimes choose not to see. Right. I'm one of those people who just chooses not to see things when they're right there in front of my face or when things happen. I mean, you can call it a red flag, you can call it whatever you want, but something we, we, we might see something, but there were, I'm just like, Oh, it's, it's okay. Because all I see is there is something great about that person or great about a situation or whatever it is. But that's me again. It's it's on me. Yeah. Like why am I choosing not to see those things in those moments? And really, like the truth that I've come to is that I don't fully trust myself. Oh, yeah. Like I don't because okay. I now you're helping me with the breakthrough. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't because I've been wrong. Mm hmm. I've been wrong a lot. Mm hmm. And so like for me, like even though my mentor and several of my mentors have said like I resonate so deeply with the human condition, which led me to believe somewhere along the way or my ego believe, well, I've got excellent intuition. I'm empathetic. Like, like I'm going to know, like I'm going to know. So no one's going to be able to hurt me because my heart is and my soul is going to be able to tell. That's a, not true. Yeah. It's not true. I have been wrong so many times about things in my life. And so out of that, part of me is like, can I trust what I'm feeling? So it's like when I get involved in like, say, a new business with someone or, you know, a new friendship or a new business uh, or a new, you know, a new intimate relationship, I want to trust what I'm feeling. I want to, like, that's, that's where I feel like my, the higher power I believe in is like guiding me. Like, I want to trust that. But then the part of me doesn't trust it. So it's, again, it's like this dance that goes on a little bit. And because of the experiences I've had with not always being right, well, we're never always right. But those experiences where I've, where I have been really wrong, like really wrong. <laughs> and I wish I had have noticed it sooner. Um, because if I had have 
put on sort of like the lens of discernment in those certain situations, those particular things may not have occurred. Yeah. So that's, that's me. It's like, you know, it's going through this whole thing of learning how to trust, you know, what I'm seeing, but also waking up in those moments of being like, wait a minute, look at what's, look at everything that's going on here. Not just the love that I crave, right? You know, I'm a love addict. I mean, after you and I spoke, I got so clear that like, <laughs> the biggest love addict. I mean, I don't even, uh, first of all, I didn't even realize I could be addicted to love. I mean, it just never occurred to me like that ever. Come on, Amanda, Robert Palmer sang it to us in the eighties. Oh, no. Might as well face it. Love that song. Oh, same. And I loved it as it, and I loved it as a kid. And I thought of a particular individual as a child. <laughs> so, yeah. So you and I, same kind wow. of story. Yeah. And I can still wow. feel like when that song comes on, I still can remember that, that I, I was nine, maybe, the, the childhood crush. Yep. yep. You know, that's the right. cute blonde girl. And, and, yep. and that's why I say my slogan, no outside solutions to inside problems, because I was already telling myself a story way back then. That if this person actually was was into me at nine, like, you know, pardon the language, you know what the fuck, like, being into someone is, please, my goodness, you know? You just learned to wipe your backside, kid. Uh, like, even back then, like, I can identify it going that far back of, of really wanting to feel loved, yeah. and I can relate to you, but I seem to always, I don't know if it's, Ego, ignorance, arrogance, what it is, it, uh, one of my best friends put this to me. He goes, you know, I'm glad to see where you're at in life. And I go, well, why is that? And he goes, because you're finally in a relationship where you love someone that loves you. And I was like, oh, mind blown. Whoa. Wow. So wait, so in the past, do you, do you, was he saying that, just so I'm clear, because you were always in relationships with someone that you love, but they didn't love you or vice versa? That love what, that, 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 that love could be a leveraged thing. Got, wow. Ooh. Familiar? Oh, so familiar. Oh my God. The, the, oh, with, yeah. the withholding of affection in whatever way you oh. want to put the kind of words of affirmation, physical touch, uh, time. Whatever it is, I, I experienced a lot of that. Same here. I let me just. This is gonna. This is gonna be a real like hard one right now. I, I just want. Is it okay if I bring it up? Please. So in the last nine months of my life, I went through um, almost dying from COVID. You know, living with this illness I'm already living with but losing uh, a business uh, partnership and then um, and also being betrayed by that person as well, which was very difficult for me um, because I trusted that person implicitly. And then also um, um, getting involved with someone um, intimately who told me that I was their, their soulmate, mm. that I was the person they'd been waiting for pretty much their whole life. And let me tell you, I fell for that like there was no tomorrow i mean i literally was like oh my god this is this has got to be the one i mean this is the one you know and i mean 
having those and then finding out later when that person said to me, my life is too complicated after I completely given my heart over because that's what I do. Right. Mm-hmm. We've already, we've already, uh, you know, made that apparent. I'm a love addict. Um, you know, I laid my heart out on the line. That person, you know, decided to say, you know, I can't be fully open because I'm too afraid essentially to let myself fully love anyone. And, and you know, and like I, I'm because of everything I've been through in my life and you know, I thought to myself, did I fall for someone who lied to me? Is Are all those things that were said to me, was that all a lie? Or was it that they really felt that way, but were pulling back because they were too scared to really let themselves fall, you know, really fully grasp being in love and being fully vulnerable with someone, right? And when I... um when we became friends after that experience, we became friends afterwards. Um, after we took some time of not speaking, I needed some time away because it really, it it really messed with me. Um, they said uh, that that what they felt for me was true, that it was true, that it wasn't a lie, and they reaffirmed to me that what they had said was absolutely the truth. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe I didn't fall for a lie. Maybe I fell for someone that was too afraid. And that's when they confirmed that they did not feel comfortable about allowing themselves to fully go there. Mm. And, that, and, and that they had never done that in their entire life. And they're in their 50s. Mm. So I think a lot of, A, I'm guilty on both sides of that, I think. Yeah, and, and when you were telling that, like really thinking back, the the love bombing and love bombing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like that. Just you know, like oh, we got a like selfie of every kiss. You know, whatever it is. I don't know. Not that there's anything wrong with being romantic and loving. It's a great thing. It's a good thing. It's a thing that you have to keep working on and keep injecting into the relationship if you want to have a good relationship. So I'm not downing yeah. all those things, but it can go too far. You know, like I told you, I've done some work in my with sex and love addiction and really going there to a lot of these things that really screw people up or create false feelings in ourselves. Exactly. That's what it did to me. See, that's see, that's where the doubt comes in. I'm like, how could I fall for something when like how how do we how do we as humans keep falling for things? Um how do we become more discerning is what I'm saying. And yeah. that and that person, you know, for me, if the truth is that someone really feels that way, well, then for me, you take action that's aligned with how you feel. But that person said, I'm not going to take action because, I mean, after they had told me, they, it was interesting, they had said, you know, I've never considered what marriage means to me, but now being with you, I'm looking at what it means. I mean, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, you. I. I mean, it's. It was intense. (laughs) People aren't watching. My mouth hasn't closed. I don't think I've ever been love bombed that hard in my entire life. Like I. And and the weird thing is, is I'm not a kid. So like falling for that kind of stuff, you know, and then having that person, and then like letting myself fall for that, and then having that person you know, then, then pull out of like what they said, you know? And I mean, 
was just such a weird like it was a very it was a it was a mind a real bad mind thing like game for me that really messed with me and mm-hmm. so you know and it was just i mean i don't really know i don't really know how to make my heart not be open to the possibility of having deep connections with people it was a deep connection i felt with this person and they felt it as well and i could if it, it occurred to me that it was entirely reciprocated but then to have someone then say to you well i'm 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 you know the fear gets in the way or whatever's there for them to me doesn't really make any sense like i do i mean so again it's like either you know it, it was a lie or it was that that person really is afraid and that's why they've never really been in a real relationship and they did tell me that well uh, he, let me throw another wrench at you maybe they're believing the lie they tell themselves about the situation. Right. Yeah. Uh, Guilty. Uh, I'm raising my hand of having been that guilty. Yeah. You know, because I, I think with the struggles that I had in the, in that area, like I say, and even being a kid hearing a song and thinking about a particular individual when I don't know what the hell that means at eight, nine years old. Um, I know what it mean, meant for me at that age, of course, but overall, in the grand scheme of how we gain wisdom and knowledge, right? Yeah. That it's like, I think I wanted something that aligned with the story in my head. And I felt this in relationships too. I had one that it was that, that when I ended it and wanted to give it closure, I said, I'm sorry, I feel like you, I'm interchangeable with any character you plug in. And I don't get a gen be genuine, authentic, like, you know, I was like, here's an example. You called to ask how my day was. I got in three words and then you took over. I didn't even get a chance to ask, how was your day? Like right. everything was surrounding the needs that you think, no, have to have whatever else it is. I'm sorry. I can't fit in that, that role. It just doesn't work for me. Because if I do that, guess what? I'm going to go back to drinking real fast. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. I think, I, 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 I mean, again, like, <clears throat> you know, my higher power intervened, obviously, like once again, because had I gone down that road, I mean, who knows how bad it would have gotten, you know, with someone who is so unclear Mm-hmm. about whether or not they have the courage to pursue what they're feeling you know where would that have left me you know it, it could have been you could end up you could end up with someone and then you know a few years down the road after you've completely given your entire life to someone and you're building a future together and then all of a sudden they can turn around and say you know i, I don't want to do this so it was better that it happened soon it happened fairly quickly within a time frame um so that you know it wasn't something that something that drug on thank god um i just think that it's important that we're responsible for the things that we say to people mm-hmm. you know and, and and that we be responsible but and they did say to me they did admit they did say you know um i've been in love with you for a long time and i'll probably always be in love with you something to that extent but they did also say you know and also i i believe i'm in love with the idea of you Sure. So to 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 their, you know, to 
for them to admit that I thought that was that was great you know because maybe it actually wasn't me they were in love with I don't know you know mm-hmm. maybe it's the idea of someone they had built in their head that wasn't really me it's interesting interesting no and I fully think that that occurs and I know I've been guilty of it and yeah. or played that role you know and and you're right I mean goodness I'm sitting when you're talking about that and you said luckily you know it, you learned early on, I'm sitting here thinking, oh my God, I could see, you know, my new friend. If you're in that relationship 10 years from now, and then the text message goes out to the friends group that I don't know who I am anymore. I've completely lost myself. I've tried to be everything that he wanted, which how often do we hear that where it's like, look, love is a verb people. And when it comes to like an intimate partner, it's like, that person is going to change, going to evolve, and you, you you can either bitch and moan. This is what I usually got. You're not who you used to be. Okay? Yeah, I, 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 I didn't realize I was under any obligation to be the same person I was five minutes ago. You're right. I'm not. It's like, it's not my fault you don't want to embrace the opportunity to really dig in, get to know what's going on in my head and my heart, and reconnect in a different way if we've had a little bit of a divide which happens too it's like you know i I don't know how many friends well we just didn't feel any connection anymore like for how long i don't know a month or two and you got divorced like what the fuck is wrong with you that is absurd (laughs) but i think that's how i think relationships have become very transactional unfortunately man you know what well, yes, definitely. And I, I think that when we're younger too, that we don't recognize that and we're always going out for like the thing that gives us the greatest rush. It's a dopamine hit, just like everything else, drugs, video games, porn, you know, sex, love. It's a dopamine hit. So we're always going out for all these things that give us that that that, that greatest, you know, oh, that intense feeling that we can get. And then as soon as that intense feeling goes away in a relationship, and it does, because that's life, You're never going to have that for 50 years, not consistently. I mean, yes, it's going to come and go. It's going to ebb and flow. But so I think I was always driven by that, by that, like in that intense feeling. And that just does, that's, it's, it's disingenuous. Yeah. I think think a lot of like the movies that we watch, a lot of Hollywood, a lot of what we see on social media with these perfect couples on social media, you know, because they're putting out all this stuff about, you know, the good days in their their relationship. They're not showing us their their crappy days. They're not Mm -hmm. doing that. No one shows that stuff. All we see is all these great things. And then we all want all that because we're like, well, if someone else has got it, then it's got to be possible for us to have it too. But meanwhile, it's actually not really reality. Mm-hmm. It's not really, it's all like this facade. And it's like, it's it's just not. I mean, I've been married. I've been in wonderful relationships, wonderful relationships. And they didn't end because there was no more connection some of them ended and I was still completely in love, mm-hmm. but they ended for different reasons, you know, yeah. and I was very fortunate and I'm still to this day so grateful that I was able to be involved in, you know, a few really powerfully incredible relationships with people that truly loved me. And I really loved them as well. I mean, it was definitely true love. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I have brain fog right now. So I, <laughs> it's okay. I think, 
I think, I think that, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's not always going to be what we see out there. Like you just said, like you, you, what you just said was so pivotal too. It's like, Oh, I didn't know I had to be who I was like then, you know, it's like, you, of course, you're not the same person today you were a year ago. As we're constantly people that say people don't change. That is such a crock. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and it, so much it's insane. Yeah. Or people don't change. Or my favorite is people can't change. And you and I are prime examples of, well, that's bullshit. Cause if that was the case, guess what? We wouldn't be having a conversation. I'd be dead. Yeah. I was say there might be people putting roses on our graves if we are lucky. I don't know. I mean, it's just, uh, we're just solving world problems here tonight. That's what we're doing on this conversation. Uh, oh, being that we're both movie buffs and, and we will talk about your YouTube channel, which I've been thoroughly enjoying. Do you know the one movie in sex and love addiction that they tell you, you cannot watch anymore? Nine and a half weeks. That's a good one, but it's the notebook. Wow. Think wow. about how toxic that is. Wow. Wow. You know, spoil alert for people because, every, yeah, because everybody always goes, well, but it's so sweet. They died together. Eh, fuck that part. Think about all the in between. Like, I like, I don't know about you. Yeah. Like if someone's beating me, I don't really want to stay dedicated to them. Like, oh, well, she was just hitting him out of anger. Right. Out of anger. <laughs> like, How wrong is that? <laughs> While being unfaithful to what in the movie portrays a pretty good man. Yep. I know. I know. Well, it's like, okay. I know. God, that's incredible. It's, I, you know what? I never would have thought that, but now that you bring that up, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. Cause see, I've not been to a love addiction, uh, meeting. Mm. And so, and you, you, you've been to one, right? Oh, several, many. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go to one for sure. Yeah. Cause this is something that is really important for me to start exploring and it, to really look at that because that is like, Wow, the notebook. You know, there's there's so many of these movies that that that's a, that movie is such a dopamine hit. Uh huh. It was I'm, for me. Oh my god, oh, I'm at the god. end. I'm bawling. I'm like, that's so beautiful. That's what I want in life. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I was like, I think I went through like two boxes of Kleenex. I watched. <laughs> All right. And oh then, but but I think that goes to show then when we when with, with people of a certain ilk sounds like you and I that we romanticize it and for me I think I subconsciously try to make things like that occur. Me too. I try to create that same fantasy world right with someone or with a situation. Yes. Yeah, I had one, and I not, I'm not, won't get graphic in it, but it was the first time I reflected on being seduced, and I left. And it was like, oh, shit, I'm being seduced. I do not like how this feels. This is not comfortable. This was supposed to be, you know, a platonic friendship. Uh, I was having a bit of a hard time, you know, and it was like, yeah, like I literally, you know, 
person comes out, woman comes out of the bedroom wearing something very different than what we were at eating. And I was like, I'm going to go. Wow. That was, and that took some work to get to that point in life to be like, you know, as opposed to, oh my God, I'm, yeah, like someone's really charged for me. And look at, you know, that, that fragile side of the ego that wants to be loved there too. Yes, exactly. Uh, and it's like, yeah, this isn't a good, like, this isn't a committed relationship. This isn't a, uh, whatever. It was just, it was a, it was a, from a, from a, you know, pick your chain restaurant. I'm not going to say any cause they don't advertise with me. So screw them. Uh, that, that, you know, this is supposed to be friends catching up. No. Oh. oh boy. That just made me realize something right now about my own past situation that I discussed with you. Yeah. <clears throat> that was supposed to be friends catching up as well. Oy. Although they had they had told me in a text message that they that they loved me. And I was quite taken aback by that because I had known I've known this person for decades. Mm. And um I thought, what do I say to this person? Like I knew them from a long time ago and I never felt that way about them. I'm like, why are they telling me this all of a sudden right now? Mm. And so I didn't really know how to respond. I felt uncomfortable is probably the right word. I felt uncomfortable. I also tell everybody in my life that I love them. Like Jason, I love you, you know, all over my social media. Like I'm all about love. Like that's what I do. And like, I want people to feel loved. And like, I'm always telling people I love them. People I don't know, I say, I love you too. It's a, it's a pact I made with myself and God last New Year's. It's my one New Year's thing I said to God. I said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to tell everybody that I meet that I love them. Just in case, just in case anyone's never been told that. Mm -hmm. At least they were told just from someone. So maybe people are offended when I tell them I love them. Maybe it's unprofessional. It probably is. But I say it anyway. So when this person said that to me, you know, I responded in kind. I said, I, I love you too. You know, and I didn't, at that moment, I know I didn't mean the way he meant it. Mm. And then they said, well, Amanda, our time may have not been then, but maybe our time is now. And that's when I got present to that. Okay, so this wasn't just a meeting up of friends. Mm. It wasn't just someone that was interested in my business anymore because that's how I was first approached. It was all about my business and the work I was doing in the world as an impact person, a social impact person, because this person also works in the area of social impact. So I was, it was a surprise to hear that because that person that approached me from a business level but it was someone I had known for a very, very long time. Yeah. So what you just told me right there, um, it's just interesting. Now your feelings for that person that seduced you, you, you did not feel the same way about them. Did you? Here's what, what I felt. I actually really liked them, but I didn't want, I didn't want it to be anything superficial. And that's what it always felt like. It always felt like, 
I knew them well enough to know when they went through a breakup or, or whatever it was. I mean, it was that kind of a thing. And I and I genuinely cared and found them attractive too. I mean, to, let's be honest, I was much younger. I mean, I would it probably would have went a lot farther like, hey, I'm going to take you out for the st- a steak and then I want to take you home and have a good time. I would have been like, bam, okay, I know what this is. Right. But I made it clear many a times like, uh, there was about maybe a year before that when we were both single and that there was kind of initiation. Like, look, I don't want to jump into that with you. Like, I really like you. This isn't a thing that it's like, like, this is coming from my heart, not from down below. I, I really would like to get to know you. And I just don't think that was in their capacity with with who they are, where they were at the time. They did open up eventually about many traumas that they went through, including sexually and uh, you know, and I that intuitively something told me that this is how this person thinks they have to connect with a man. This is how this woman thinks it. And wow. I figured, you know, I mean, of course, being young and stupid and the guys raz you and I, I stood my ground like, guys, it wasn't stupid because at least I hope wherever this person is in the world now that maybe they can reflect and understand that my leaving was nothing but a really good way of loving them. But for me, it was completely uncomfortable and it did not, it didn't match where my heart was. I cared about them. They're gorgeous. I mean, beautiful lady, you know, uh, it's, it's those stupid male brain things that go, damn, she was pretty hot, you know, but it's like, it wouldn't have, it, it would have just left me more empty in that moment. And, and I saw the potential to be like for, for that individual to go, yeah, that was really fun, but, you know, so-and-so, George, my ex or whatever, call me and he wants to try again. And I would have been ass out. I knew all that potential was there. That's exactly why. See, that was my intuition that worked in this situation. That's exactly why I said no to any further intimacy. Mm. Mm-hmm. I said no to to going I said no to the physical because I um with my own experiences throughout my life I that to me is is something sacred Mm. And maybe that's maybe maybe I've collapsed those circles between sex and love. To me, um, I only want to be with someone that I'm that I have love for, that I that I'm like have true love with. Like I I don't want to just have sex. Like I don't want that. And so it's so interesting because I remember when we reconnected. We hugged, and I thought, when I hugged that person, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm feeling something here, which is really strange because I've not felt this way about this person. I've known this person for so long, you know? So it was very odd. But it quickly turned into that person, like, very physical with me, like, hands all over me, like, putting me on their lap, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this kind of thing. And it it was a little bit, like, it was a little, like, I thought it was very fast. That kind of like it, the speed at which things were going was very quickly, but I was feeling very, 
I don't know. I was feeling intense feelings. So sure. it was, it was, um, I thought, okay, well, it, it's okay. But, but when it came to that, um, I made it very clear that I would not, that, that, that the person that I become in my life is, is a person who does not, um, I don't want to sound like an idiot, like, or a prude or something, but it's just that I don't take sex lightly in my life anymore. That's not idiotic or prudish at all. I mean, we get this one vessel in our time here and it's like, I think people trivialize too much of what we're actually doing with another human that it's, that they think that the ramification is, oh, it was bad sex. I didn't have a good orgasm or orgasm at all or whatever it is. And that that's the sole ramifications of sexuality. Like, no, you get, you're, you're, give, you're giving a part of yourself that sticks with you. And I mean, I know men that like, oh, the bag is many women and that's men. No, like, like for me, some of it haunts me. Are you kidding? So I just, yeah. No, I, I I think that's great that you do. And and why and why aren't love and sex part of a, a collected thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, is it is it wrong to like want them to be part of that? Like, I mean, I don't think maybe it's not wrong or right. It's you know, and that's the thing about, you know, ontology again, it's like being able to distinguish those things. And but for me, it's become, you know, that I, I, I mean, I'll be, I'll just stay celibate, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really care. Like I don't, because it's like every time in my life, throughout my life and <clears throat> two of my, uh, my, two of my ex-boyfriends from, from high school, I never, you know, I never had that level of intimacy with them. We were very young at that time, but they both passed away, you know, from, um, drug overdoses in the past couple of years. And I, even being intimate with them, like, even though we didn't have that level of intimacy, we were so young, we were just like, we still kissed and we still hugged and we still cuddled. And I swear I left a piece of myself with them. Like, I still feel that when I, when I found out they died of overdoses, something inside me broke a little bit. And I hadn't even slept with either of them but they were two of my boyfriends in high school that I cared deeply about, that I loved. I'm gonna put a pause in the conversation with Amanda right there. We will release part two the day after Christmas. So please make sure you guys check out part two with Amanda Kazmira Cryer. And on that note, keep knocking doors down. <laughs>